We've been in a series about what is one of the best known uh, parables that Jesus told. And this parable is typically called the prodigal son. So you all know that, right? You don't even have to be part of church and know prodigal son. Everybody knows what a prodigal is. It's kind of the, back, the, the, the person who left home and, and did their thing. And so we're, we're familiar with that story. And as I was digging into this, and I mentioned before, I read a book by Tim Keller called Prodigal God, and that gave me a lot of insights I had never seen before. And I love that because scripture is so rich. And I spent a little bit of time last week talking about how it's so important for us to dig in because, you know, the Bible is not just one book. It's a collection of books. We'll do a little Bible quiz here. How many books? 66, right? You got the older part, which is the Old Testament, uh, 39 books, thank you. And it's grouped into sections because it's really old. And then you got the New Testament, 27 books, and they're grouped together. And then the very first part of the New Testament is four books we typically call Gospels, which all these words have incredible meaning, but you know we just kind of use them and don't think about it. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're basically, what they are is eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus from different perspectives. Luke is a fascinating one of the three because he actually wasn't there, but he interviewed eyewitnesses. And he says, though, in, in, the, in the very first verse in the book, he's writing, we think he had a, uh, somebody who paid him, like a patron, who paid him to do this. And he says in there, most excellent Theophilus, I thought it good to, to give you a more orderly account of your faith. And so it's kind of comical because they kind of take digs at each other. He was kind of taking a dig there at a less orderly account. Whose account might that be? Maybe Peter? You know, the impetuous one, the guy who just jumps out of the boat, sees Jesus and says, hey, can I walk on water too? And Jesus says yes. And, and then later when Jesus is resurrected and he's on the shore making lunch for them, John says, from, it's all, this is all in, the, in those accounts, John says, that looks like Jesus. And Peter, what does he do? He jumps out the boat and swims 100 yards to meet Jesus. I love that guy. But you can imagine as he's telling his story of the life of Christ, it's not necessarily going to be in order, which is fine. That's who he was, right? So Luke tells this orderly account. And what Luke does, because he's, he's a, he was a, a, a doctor, a Gentile, non-Jew, traveled with Paul. So we get the book of Acts as he's traveling with Paul. And then what we believe is that when he was in, Paul was imprisoned in Caesarea, that Luke took that time to research the story of Jesus. So he goes and talks to Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother. And then he finds out that there was a song that Elizabeth sang. And he writes it down. And a song that Mary sang. So the Magnificat, you've heard that term before. That's actually a song that Luke records, nobody else records. Because Luke's an eyewitness account. And he goes and finds out about the song. So we see this story in, in the, good, the prodigal son. And it's just rich with meaning that a lot of times as modern Americans, not only have we heard the story so many times that we fail to see the nuances and the details in it. But the other problem is we're modern Americans. And what do we do? We make everything American. We just turn it into our world. And, and yes, it still has meaning, but you miss some of the details of it. But there's more to it than that. This story tells the story of good, good father. There's this worship song that was popular a few years ago, good, good father. What is good? When we say God's a good father, what would be good? And let me ask you a trick question here. Would it be good for us, 
for me, the 21st century, or would it even be good in the first century? Is God good? Isn't that the biggest question of all humanity? Is God good? You look at your life, you look at things that are happening, you look at maybe just you. Is God good? A lot of times we interpret his goodness based on what has happened to us or what we see in the world, and you wonder, is he good? Let me ask you again. Is it good in the moment? Is it good based on what I feel like should be good? Is it good on what's good today? Let me be very honest with you. If you get this wrong, you're lost. Do you ever think about that? I'll never forget when I was in Bible college, there was a, the fairgrounds for Orange County fairgrounds were right across from the college. So every Friday and Saturday, <clears throat> they would have this huge swap meet. And there, what they called a swap meet, there were swap meet things, but most of it was people selling stuff. I mean, like new stuff. It was crazy. You could buy sunglasses for two bucks. I mean, they were worth two bucks, but you could, you could still buy them for two bucks. There was this lady there every day, and she was a, a fortune teller lady. So she was there, and she had a big sandwich board sign that stuck, stuck out in the way. And it, always, it said on there the same thing. And it said, God is too big for any one religion. So I would always just go and talk to her a little bit and just ask her. And it always came down to this. And I would just ask her, what if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? Do you realize how important it is if you're wrong? So anybody from Southern Cal at all or no Southern Cal? Okay. I have to give you this example because it's just goofy. So one day, my friends and I, we were... Uh, in San Diego, and we were going to go s- snow skiing. So what we decided to do was, let's just get up really early, because the, the slopes open at 8. you got to be there a little early to get in line to get your lift ticket, right? And the slopes are up off the, they're outside of LA, and I'm down in San Diego, so we know it's a three-hour drive, so we just do the math. So if we get up at, you know, at 5, we'd barely get there in time, so instead we, get up, we got on the road at 4 a.m., right? So everybody's tired. So one of my friends is driving, and um, you, know, you know how it goes, right? Where he's driving, and then I remember waking up and looking around, like, Dave? He's like, what? I'm like, we're in Los Angeles. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, this is L.A., bro. This is not even near San Bernardino. And he goes, here's what he said. I'm on the San Bernardino freeway. Uh, Yeah, this is the 10 freeway in L.A. So here's what happened. And so I, I, stay with me here for a minute. I know it's kind of crazy, but if you're driving up from San Diego and you're going like this on the 15 or 215, there's a point where you hit the 10 freeway and you can go into San Bernardino Mountains. But the problem is that San Bernardino Freeway right here goes that way to L.A. Mattered, right? One little turn and we're now two hours from the mountains, but we're three hours in. So instead of getting there at 7, we didn't get there till like 9, 30, 10 o'clock. All right, it didn't ruin our day. We just laughed, right? Do you see how this works? If you get this wrong, it, it matters way more than going to L.A. Ever been in like heavy fog? I mean, heavy fog? Last night, it was kind of freaky. I was walking the dog, and it just seemed like this heavy... It wasn't mist, but it seemed like the air was so thick. It was hazy. Anybody else see that last night? It was kind of comical because the mosquitoes were getting hung up in it. 
And they were flying like really slow. I'm like, bump. <laughs> but it reminded me, have you been in fog where you can't see? And if you take a wrong turn and you're on the highway or something, I mean, sometimes it's safer to just get off, right? Yeah. Do you, okay, I know I'm using these kind of crazy examples, but my point is so huge. If you get God wrong, you don't end up with God. Right. You end up with something else. Pastor Newby used to say, because people say this all the time, well, do all things lead to God? Well, they do, but not heaven. And here's the problem. If you get this wrong, you're wrong. You're wrong forever. You're talking heaven and hell here. This is not like mismatching your clothes. Like I always chuckle, because I, I do have some color issues. I mean, they're not horrible, but... You know, a couple people today ask, in the light, they thought this shirt was black. I don't know what it looks like on TV, but it's purple, right? 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 Does it matter? No. Honestly, I don't even care. Like, this is like way, way down on my care list. This is not on there. I'll just be honest with you. This is not, I just don't. Choosing the wrong God matters. Sorry, it's so heavy, I just, because I know people really believe a lot. And then what happens is they start to make little compromises and they do little things that they think, well, this is okay if I change this and change this and change this, I can make God easier for me. Like God, God sets up the world in a certain way because this is the way. He has a way. And he's been telling us for a long, long time. And if you change that, there are worse things than ending up in L.A., let me just be honest. Yeah. Way worse things. It kills me, though, because I, I look at where the world is today, and it's just a scary place. Because sometimes the problems aren't super obvious. And you see these little tweaks that the enemy does that fool people, and then they've changed everything. I, we're redefining words. Have, have you noticed that? And we're taking things that were clearly sin. Even the world would have said, 10 years ago? 20 years ago? They would have automatically said, no way, that's wrong. And now we just redefine them as if that changes them. It doesn't change them. I don't know who said it, you know, that whole lipstick on a pig. You ever heard that? You can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. Right? God, I... I'm sorry, I'm just really overwhelmed with this in the moment. It just, all these things are flooding my mind. Sin is still sin. You, there's these slogans out there, and they're real catchy. And they get at your heart, because as Christians, we love, right? So you see a slogan that says, love is love. Yeah, but what do you mean by love? Because if I love you, I'm going to tell you that where you're going is wrong. And what you're doing is going to hurt you. I can't just blindly say, yes, it's okay, or celebrate with you, if I know it's going to hurt you. It just, it breaks my heart because people get sucked in and they start to change things. And let me be honest with you, if you change the faith, you've changed it, and it no longer takes you to God. It's a hard thing because... What we see today, if you just change what you think is the faith to fit what is culture today, 
all you're doing is reflecting culture. It's not really real. Jesus was doing the same thing in his day. He was correcting people's misunderstandings about God. And the problem they had is similar to what's happening today, where their religious leaders were wrong. And they were pointing people to a way to God that didn't lead to God. So when Jesus came, of course he ran sideways with the religious leaders. They were offended at him. And then he was reaching out to people who they didn't approve of. And Jesus didn't condone their sin. It's not like he got with the sinners and started sinning with them. They knew they were wrong. But the fact is that Jesus, in a way, was attractive to them because even though they knew they were wrong and he didn't approve of their sin, he still accepted them and they wanted to change. So Jesus is confronted with all this. Is God hard to please? Is he someone that you can never be good enough for? Because that's what the world was saying. Or the, the religious leaders of their day. Is God a soft pushover that just lets you do whatever? No. So he tells the story. And you remember the very first part of the story in Luke chapter 15. It says that the, the religious leaders were grumbling because Jesus was with sinners and tax collectors. The worst of the worst of their society. So he tells the story. The first story he tells is about a lost sheep. Shepherding was huge in their community. And if you had these sheep, now I don't know, 100 sheep seems like a lot, but he lost one. And the shepherd still left the 99, found the one, and brought it back and celebrated. Then he tells a story about a lady who had 10 coins, loses one, and sweeps her entire house out, and she finds the one. Then she tells all her neighbors, and they celebrate. Then he tells this story. And when Jesus tells this part of the story, he's actually reaching out to both ends of the spectrum. He's reaching out to the younger brother who had wasted everything and lived carefree and done whatever he wanted and created his own rules. But he's also reaching out to the ones who were the rule followers, the religious ones who did everything, everything right and focused on the rules. Told you the story before, but have you ever been judged by people like that? By the church? I told you the story before, but I'm gonna tell it real quick. I was a youth pastor in my home church, and we had sold our church to this other church who were holier than us. And I had left on a Wednesday night after youth. We did our youth service in the main auditorium because there was no other room for the youth, it was that big, and left, and then I forgot something. I came back, it was like 10:30 at night. So I drove back, and um, all the parking lot was full. And so I figured, well, the other church must be having a service. So I go walking up, and one of the girls from their high school group, I'm not trying to criticize them per se, but I'm just saying, she had, you know, hair, big hair, and all that. I knew the youth, because the youth weren't all down with what they were doing there, and we would see them and talk and whatever. So I was walking up, and I'm like, hey, what's going on? Are you guys having church? And she said, no, we're cleansing the temple. I said, Cleansing the temple? Like, did we make a mess in there? I thought we cleaned everything up. She goes, they're cleansing the temple from you. <laughs> from, from me? And she's like, well, yeah, look at you. You have shorts on in the temple. You had long hair. I had hair, long hair. You have long hair? I'm like, 
oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. I'm going to have to walk into the temple right now, and they're going to have to re-cleanse it. Because <laughs> I left something on the platform, which was the worst. So, I got, you know, what am I going to do? So I walked in. It was funny. It was, it was funny. But I'll be honest with you, it was also a little hurtful to be judged like that. Because I love Jesus. I serve Jesus, preach the word. And uh, I assume they did too, but I know what it means to be judged. I get it. So in this story, the the, uh, younger brother had wasted all his money. And we're going to go to Luke 15, verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Who was filled compassion with compassion? Remember I told you last week and the week before, who's, who's the father in the story? It's God. Did you ever think of God? God. God of the universe. Feeling compassion for you in your sin. And the people you judge in their sin. I don't know about you, but I didn't feel compassion from anybody when I walked it back in the church that night. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to the father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father interrupts and he says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost, but he's found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? The brother has, your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even one young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father says, You are always with me, and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What I want to do today is I want to focus on the father. Now, two weeks ago, we focused on the younger son. Last week, on the elder son. I want to focus on the father today. And I want you to see some things about the Father that my prayer and hope is that you would see God the way Jesus wanted them to see God. I want you to see him as the God that he is, the God that's communicated and revealed in Scripture, the God that he wants you to see. It's very important that you get this right. The first thing I want you to understand is that God initiates this. God initiates his love toward you. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but when our kids were younger, one time we were in Target in Minnesota, and we'd heard about kids getting snatched. 
It's funny, every kid is different, right? You have, anybody have more than one child? Every kid is different. You know, Grace is totally different than Theo, totally different, again, than Lily. Now, Lily's a year and a half younger than Theo, so like three years younger than Grace. So we're in Target. <laughs> I don't know, the other two never did this. But Lily did this one day. She literally looked at us and just started running. And we're both, we're looking at each other. And the two older kids are like, and they're looking at us like, I can't believe it's happening. And she's gone. I can't even tell you the feeling. You know, you know what I'm talking about? It was so weird. It's like she turned and then in the clothes and in the racks. And we're both, we're like panicking. And we start running. And we've got two other kids. Like we're trying to grab them. This whole thing might have lasted two minutes, right? But I can't even tell you. Even now, even telling you the story, that feeling of losing your child. And I, I know I've, I've helped parents who've lost kids for longer than that. And I'm just telling you, that sense that I had in seconds, imagine the heart of the father. I don't know. I, I look at this story and I read this and I see him running to his son who was lost every day. We're not told how long. I mean, Jesus is telling the story and it's all built in there. But it's something to say that the father was looking down the road for his son. Now, I don't know about you, but we frantically, and, and Nicole found her and it was over and she was in trouble. And like, how could you do this? And you're trying to be mad and be you know, overwhelmed with joy to find them and you're holding them and you want them to never do it again and the other two are like, oh my gosh. Man, it's so emotional. Have you ever been lost and searched for? How many, how many were that kid at one point? I was. Anybody? Really? That's it? I would do this all the time with my, okay, my mom took us shopping all the time. She had to, right? My dad was God, he was in the Navy, and she would take us shopping. And it was my favorite thing to, anybody else do this, to be hiding in the clothes rack? Who did that? Is it just me? Not enough of you have done that. You need to do that. It's kind of cool. You can fit in there as a little kid. And you can see everybody looking around. It's always embarrassing, though, when a lady would be like, you know, grab those hangers. And you're like, ah. And she's like, ah. <laughs> but I remember being lost. And I remember the panic. Like, where's my mom? And then you're trying to find her and you're crying and the, you know, somebody's trying to help you and you know, they're trying to jerk you along to get to the little speaker to say, there's this little boy here. And, like, uh. and you're in shame. Remember all that? It is very embarrassing. <laughs> Have you been lost? And then do you remember what it's like when your mom came and found you and you knew she was looking for you because you were that important to her? If you could multiply that by like a gazillion, you might approach God's relationship to his lost children. His children were lost and he initiates, and it's both children. I know I emphasized it last week, but if you weren't here or you don't remember, it's both children. The God that we serve does that for both spectrums of children. 
The lost sons, the younger ones who go out and, and spoil their lives and do horrible things. Yes. And then the ones who follow all the rules and feel like they're so good that God owes them so much and they're so self-righteous. Both children he goes after. He sees the young one coming toward him and he runs toward him on the road. And then the older one won't come in the party. He could have blown him off and instead he goes outside and tries to reason with him and reminds that son, son, I've always been here for you. But in both cases, as I emphasized the last two weeks, the boys in those stories, they didn't want the father. They wanted the father's things, but not the father. They wanted the father's things on their own terms. The younger one felt like he could be God and make up the rules on his own, which our world is embroiled in today. It's always been doing this. It's more in our face today than ever, but it's always been this way. But the older son was doing the same thing. His his way of saving himself was following all the rules and becoming so self-righteous. He was self-dependent. He didn't need God either. And God initiates both. I want you to think about this. I read this line and it literally just made me stop for minutes. Do you know what Jesus was doing when he told this story? He was, and I mean this word word, literally. I try not to use that word because it's so overused. I hate words that are just useless because they've been used so much. Jesus, think about this, was literally pleading with the elder brothers who would crucify him. They were the ones who were going to crucify him. And he was pleading with them to respond to the father's love. He knew what was going to happen to him. We don't know how long this story was before that event. I often wonder, though, I sat there and pondered. Were they some of the ones when Jesus was held up there and been beaten and bloodied and had a crown of thorns on his head and was presented before the people? Were they some of the ones in the front row yelling, crucify him, who he had told that story to? And I wonder if he'd locked eyes with them and just pleaded with them again. Not out of mercy for himself, but for them. He loved them, even in their sin and hate toward him. But let me ask you a question. How does the sinless get saved? I know you know nobody's sinless, right? The, the younger brother's sins are obvious. The elders, not so much. But they felt like they were sinless, so they didn't need a savior. But in our world today, both sides feel that way. You've got the self-righteous who feel like they don't really need a savior. Then you've got the ones in sin who've redefined what sin is. Spooky. It's spooky stuff. It's kind of like they're sin deniers. I know that's corny, but they're both in the same place. I mean, who would have thought pedophilia would be redefined and okay? They're talking about it as they're calling it... um, Minor attracted person. Are you kidding me? But if you're like that, then you're sinless and you don't need saved. You know what this is about? It's not about what we need, but who we need. They had the what. Remember the what? Follow all the rules, right? Ten commandments. Just follow all the rules. You got the what. But we know you can't follow the what. We know about the what. 
And the whole story, all those stories he told were all about that. It was about the lost sheep, the lost coins, the lost sons. They're all lost. But it's not about that. You've got the ones who feel like they haven't done anything wrong, and then the ones who are so self-righteous that God owes them, they become better than God. What they miss in the middle of it is what is behind the rules. It's always a heart. I mean, you, you guys are good parents. Those of you who are parents, some of you are younger. Sometimes you don't understand your mom's rules or dad's. You ask them why, what do they say? Because I told you, right? I know we all said it. Sorry. I'm sorry. Because I want them to know why. When, the, when you tell them don't run in the street, you, there's a reason, right? When you tell them don't play with that, there's a reason, right? I've never told this story before. When I was a little kid playing in the Philippines, we lived off base. There was a guy who ran our compound. He was a Filipino guy named E. King. Scariest man I've ever seen. He was huge. But you know, when you're little, everybody's big. I don't know. One day we were playing with this, this worm. It was a weird worm because it, it wiggled like a snake, but it looked like a worm. It was black. It was about that big. He comes running over with a machete. And we were like, ah. You know, we stepped back and he chopped that thing up. And then he told our parents, he dragged us to our parents and told us that was one of the most poisonous snakes in the Philippines. And had it bit us, we'd have been dead before. Who knew? I thought he was mean. Big, mean, scary man just saved my life. Why does God give us rules? Why? To protect and provide for us. Can we say that together? Protect and provide. Can we say it again? Protect and provide. He loves you. We all need found. But again, it's not about a place. It's about a who. It's not about a what. It's about who. It's a relationship. This whole story about God is the story of the whole Bible. It's about a relationship. What happens to the younger son? He leaves home looking for some satisfaction, his true self. He wants to find happiness, right? Think about humanity. Think about what we do. We're looking for pleasure. We're, we're looking for all that. Or maybe the elder son, because he's finding pleasure in his work and his obedience and pride. Think about the garden. What did they have there? They had home with God, relationship. But they still wanted something different. It's like we're always uncomfortable in our home. It's like we try to recreate these memories from childhood sometimes. And you try to do this. I don't know if everybody, anybody's ever been disappointed at Christmas. And you're like, oh, it's over. It's it. I mean, as a kid, you have this, these memories that you create. And you, you make them bigger than life. And, and maybe you have like a brother or sister who says, nah, it wasn't like that. It was like this. And. Nostalgia kind of glorifies the past and sometimes it glosses over things. There's this aching within each of us for a relationship, a restored relationship going all the way back to Eden. God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. But what did we do? We chafed at God's authority. We wanted to become like him. Adam and Eve, Cain kills his brother. The whole story of Noah and Abraham and the Jews and the judges and kings and prophets and you and me. And what does God do? He keeps pursuing us. He keeps pursuing us. 
He keeps pursuing us. I don't know about you. I, I have limits. Don't you? And I've got to be reminded sometimes my limits aren't God's limits. My limits need to be extended because God is bigger than me and his love is bigger than mine. And I need his help to be loving like him. But he never ends. He never stops. He never stopped looking for the younger son. He still went out to the older son. I don't know. It blows my mind the more I think about it. You know what it is? God's love's not fair. Thank God. Thank God his love's not fair. His love's not fair. You know, it's, that story, it gets into all these details. I mean, the younger bro- the brother took from both the father and the, the older son. I, I talked about that, how, the, how the, the inheritance should have been divided because there's two boys in their world. It would have been divided into thirds. The older brother would have got two thirds. The younger brother, the one third. It looks like the way Jesus told the story, he destroyed and took away that money. That would have been the father giving away inheritance that would have been handed down from generation to generation to generation. Hopefully at the year of Jubilee returned, but what happens? God's love's not fair. When he comes back, the father reinstates him as a son. It's not fair. He reinstates him. You look at what he did. I mean, he gives him a coat that, that gave him status as a son. It's hard for us to understand that, but maybe one thing that might make sense is, remember Joseph's coat of many colors? It's that kind of thing. It's like you're in the family. You look your family coat of arms. You're back in. Joint heir. You are back in. I don't know, but I'm sure everybody in the crowd would be like, wait a minute. Does that mean they're going to divide the state again by thirds? That's not fair. Guess what? God's love's not fair. His love's not fair. You know what it is? It's restoration to Eden. When he accepts us in, you're put right back to Eden. Is that fair? No, it is not. He gives us complete reinstatement. Your sin is forgotten. Have you ever, you ever thought about that? You know, when bad things happen to good people? It's not fair, right? You ever wondered why good things happen to any of us? I mean, no one ever asked that, right? You know why? Because there's only been one good person. And we killed him. The ring. He gets the ring. It's a symbol of authority. It wasn't just a ring like a pretty thing you wear. It was actually a family ring that would have given him then the ability to, to stamp. You know, they would stamp him with hot wax and letters, agreements. It's a big deal. Put sandals on his feet. It's a corny example. I debated whether to share it because I'm not trying to offend anybody. But you ever been over someone's house and they say, we take our shoes off in the house? I always felt like, oh, okay, this house is better than me, right? I don't know, but I'll tell you, in their, in their culture, it meant him having shoes that he was part of the family again, the part of the family. It's not fair. It's not fair. Do you know what happens when an unbeliever, whether it's the son, either one, comes back? Do you realize there's rejoicing? Jesus said there's more rejoicing in heaven over one lost person coming. Who's rejoicing? Heaven. Is that fair? None of it's fair. Do you get this? God's love is so extravagant. It's so profligate. 
It is prodigal. He spends on us over and over and over. He initiates, he chases us, he restores us, and none of it's fair. None of it's fair. None of it's fair. One of the things about going to kids' camp is watching kids try to balance what's fair. It's really comical, right? Because you go through the food line, you know, and you get all this food that some of it they will not touch. I don't even know why they serve it. Why do you give big beans to kids? Like, there's no point. They're not eating it. I mean, it all gets thrown away. It's really comical. And at one point, you know, they got, they got uh, fudge bars. You know fudge bars? Yeah. And <laughs> sitting at the table, one of them was smaller. It was really comical. Not for that little girl, but for me. She opens it, she's like, mine is only th- half as big. And, and, and everybody's like, oh, yeah. And they kind of turn away from her to eat their big ones, you know. <laughs> and she's like, it's not fair. And so I got her a new, another one. Then guess what? That wasn't fair. Because now she had one and a half. Do you see how this works? And then all of them are like, that's not fair. And so I started to be like, but isn't it great that she got a whole nother one? Well, I want a whole nother one. I'm like, well, then that wouldn't be fair. But I... Heaven rejoices. Do you realize? It's crazy to think, right? They throw a party in heaven every time someone comes to Jesus? Yes. Why? Because God's love's not fair. He loves more than you could ever deserve. And he doesn't give us what we deserve. You can't earn his love like the elder brother was doing. And you can't, you can't, you can't squander and get away from his love like the elder brother did. Either way, there's love. You know, those in sin don't often see their sin, right? They don't see their lostness. God's view on sin, people got it all mixed up. What Jesus is trying to help him understand is God is patient, but he's not patronizing with sin. He's not. Jesus didn't say that. He accepts us as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. He, he welcomes us, but he doesn't enable and affirm our sin he pulls us out and he cleans us. The story's all about this. You know, we're all uncomfortable in our home at some way or another. It's, but the reason is it's not our home. This earth is not our home. Our passions are God-given, but then they get out of control and we let them get crazy. And then he forgives us and restores them. You know what's true about this story? Jesus was telling the story, but he's the true older brother. I'm going to take it another way. This is weird. Think about Jesus is telling the story, but then he does what the elder brother didn't do and wouldn't do because of his pride and arrogance and hate and disgust for his brother. A true elder brother, what would he have done? The younger brother leaves. What would he have said? I got this, dad. Sorry, just overwhelms me to think. I'm going to go get brother. I'll give whatever it takes to redeem my brother. And what did Jesus do? He left all of heaven, all of glory. And why? Because his love's not fair. And he came to earth to redeem each and every one of us who've all gone astray. And he paid it all. He paid it all. He's the true older brother. And the older brother should have been happy when the younger brother came in the story and he wasn't. But what does Jesus do? He turns to the thief on the cross and he says, this day, this day, 
you will be with me in paradise. And he opens and welcomes every single one of us with open arms and takes us wherever we are and restores us to sonhood. (laughs) It blows my mind. If you'd close your eyes for a minute, and if I could have a musician up here. What blows me away about the story is the father invites the elder son into the feast. Into the feast. It's a real feast. Some of you may not realize there's a feast coming for all of us. Doesn't have to wait until heaven. The feast starts now. And with your eyes closed, I just want you to think about this for a second. You can join this party now. It doesn't mean everything changes and everything's like perfect. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is you join the family now and we walk through all of that together. And what happens is that there's reconciliation with the younger and elder brothers now here on earth. There's actual rejoicing that can happen now on earth now. And it's not fair and that's okay. And you don't care if the other kids got a bigger fudge bar. You rejoice with them in that. And the fact is, we can fellowship with one another now. And we can reconcile now with God and with each other. And there can be forgiveness with each other. And you can be happy at someone else's blessings. And you can be grateful for what you have. And you can rejoice with each other. And you can enjoy life right now with Jesus now. You don't have to wait till heaven. You can have heaven on earth now. You can have peace with God now. In the story, the younger son joined the family. The elder son said, no, you don't have to do that. You can have brothers and sisters in Christ in this place now. You can celebrate each other now. You can celebrate joys and you can can share sorrows. There's an old saying, it says, a shared joy is twice the joy, but a shared sorrow is half the sorrow. You can walk this life together as heavy as it gets and as hard as it gets and as happy as it gets with each other. Now, you can help the hurting. You can lift the downtrodden. You can sit with the mourning. You can have friends that last forever now. That's what makes Christianity so radical and so different. I desperately want everybody in this world to find God and find Christ. Jesus came to seek and save the lost He gave so that we can live. He gave so that we can know the Father in true relationship now. It's not fair, but God pursues and initiates that relationship over and over and over. Wherever you are, he welcomes you back in the family. He opens his arms and hugs you with a bear hug you'll never forget. I want to do this with everybody's eyes closed. There may be somebody here who you're not in the family. And everything I'm talking about sounds right. Maybe in your heart, even in your chest, you just feel this intensity, like you feel like something's drawing you to this. That's, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart right now. And he says, yes, I've come for you. You're here today to hear this because the God of the universe loves you that much and has pursued you and pursued you and pursued you. Conversations, situations, maybe other sermons you've heard, but today it makes sense. And you want to follow him with your whole heart. Is there anybody like that? With everybody's eyes closed, this is a private moment. It's between you and God, really. I don't even need to know, but I I just want to know because I want to pray with you. Anybody at all like that, you say, yes, I want that relationship with God to start today and last forever. Anybody at all? Give you a moment.
maybe you online, you've been watching and you think, yes, that's me. God's not limited by any barriers, time, nothing. So if that's you, I just want you to pray a simple prayer with me. In fact, I'd like you all to repeat it just, just so we do this together. It's simple, really. It just acknowledges the fact that we're sinners, thanks Jesus for his sacrifice, invites him in to be Lord of our life, and that changes everything. Would you just repeat this with me? Father God, sorry for what I've done that's wrong. I want to follow you. I want relationship with you. I'm giving my heart to you today. Come in and make me new. Amen. With everybody else's eyes closed still, just one more question, though, for the rest of us here. What I found over the years is it's easy to let things slip in that maybe hurt your feelings or offend you or maybe things with other people. There may be people in this room you need to forgive somebody. Maybe it's a Christian. Maybe it's somebody in your family. I don't know. Some of you may have situations where you've been hurt by somebody who you can't even talk to anymore. Maybe they're passed away or gone out of your life. And you realize that you need to forgive not because they deserve it, but because God's love's not fair. And because he loved you, you need to extend forgiveness to them. Because he's forgave you, you need to extend forgiveness to them. Somebody just asked some questions. Anybody here like that, that you realize, yeah, I need to do that. I'm not going to call you out and make you come up here. I see those hands, though. I appreciate it. Appreciate those hands and that honesty. Anybody else like that, you realize... The forgiveness part of this story hits you hard. All right. Appreciate those hands. There's one other question I really feel that I need to ask, and that is this, that I know how life goes where you start to maybe question God a little bit. Things get rough. Things don't work out the way you thought. And it's not like you've become completely the elder brother. You don't feel like God owes you, but you've started to build up this kind of resistance to him or a wall or just you feel like maybe God does things for other people but not for you. Or maybe you wonder, like, God, I just, I keep praying, but these situations aren't changing. Keep trusting you. Maybe you even prayed this morning as Pastor Nick led us, but you realize that you've let some distance come in between you and God. You've pushed him away to the point where you need to restore that. And you realize that he's pursuing you, even through this sermon or through situations in your life, and you realize right now that you need to, sound weird, but let him hug you. You need to open your arms back up to him and let him in to be close again. It's about the heart. God wants your heart. If he has your heart, everything else falls into line. So I'm just curious. Anybody here would just be honest and just say, yeah, I've pushed him away a little. I need, I need him closer. All right. Again, there's a lot of hands, and I appreciate your honesty. Would you all stand with me? I'm going to invite those who are prepared to pray. If you would come down. And I'm going to invite you, you can come pray for any of the things I've mentioned or anything else. If you need prayer for anything, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe healing, maybe a specific situation, these people who are here to pray with you, they love Jesus, they love you, they will pray regardless. You don't even have to tell them. You might even just tell them, just pray. That's fine. They will pray. But if you need prayer for any of those things, please come right now. And I just want to pray for all of us. But make your way down and let them pray for you because these 
These people will stand with you in prayer. Come now as I pray. Father, we stand before you as a church who loves you dearly. God, I pray for those who raise their hands, who are struggling with forgiveness for whatever reason. God, I know hurts can be very deep and last for a lifetime. But I pray right now that you would help those who've been struggling with forgiveness to let that go and to forgive and to let you love them, love the person who wronged them. God, I pray for complete healing and forgiveness in those situations. God, I pray that you would heal the hearts, heal the memories, and God, that you would heal in the name of Jesus, that you would forgive. Father, I pray for those who've pushed you away for whatever reason. Maybe it's been too long that things just haven't been close between you or something that we wanted you to do at a certain time in a certain way that hasn't happened. But God, I pray that you would now warmly come in and warmly restore that relationship. In my mind's eye, I just see you running toward people in this room right now and embracing them. And I just pray, God, that your love, I just pray that your love would just shower over everybody in this room right now from head to toe. That a sense of blessing from you as a, as a good, good father to a child as you hold them and that they would feel safe and protected and healed and restored. And God, that you would give them peace. I pray, Father, like you say in Philippians 4, that as we have come to you with our needs, that now, Lord God, that you would guard our hearts and minds with a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that doesn't make sense, and that you would restore us and fill us my, our minds, like you say in Philippians 4, 8, with thoughts of good, wonderful, perfect, beautiful things. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you today. As you leave this place, greet some people, welcome them as brothers and sisters in Christ. You should even do that today. As you talk to them, use those words. Use those terms. Say, Brother Mike, Brother Frank, Brother, Sister Cindy, sorry, Brother Lewis. God bless you today.